Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1 today, so we're starting a brand new book. 1 Peter is only five chapters long, so uh, Lord willing, by Friday we'll have another book that we, we complete. Um, and 1 Peter is an important work uh, of Scripture that is often, it seems to me, overshadowed by some of the Pauline writings. Uh, a lot that Paul mentions in his 13 letters is really summarized in First Peter with with his own uh, purpose, background, context, direction, all that sort of stuff. What we need to see right away is that Peter is writing to a dispersion of Christians. Uh, so whereas Paul is writing to those in Rome or those in Corinth or Galatia, uh, Peter is writing to those who are dispersed, and they're dispersed because of persecution. So this book tackles the issue of suffering quite a bit. If you've been tracking with us in these daily devotions, you've probably noticed that suffering is a common theme in the Bible. Entire books are dedicated to subject, like Book of Hebrews would be a fun example of that, First Peter being yet yet another. Uh, remember that much of Second Corinthians was on the issue of suffering, but Paul's argument there was his perseverance through suffering was demonstrative of his apostolic authority. Uh, so he almost inverts what we usually think of suffering there. Uh, so Peter is is writing to people who are dispersed and 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 refugees because of uh, them suffering because of their faith. And so he begins in his greeting to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. So there we see that some of the locations that the dispersed believers are going to are identified, Cappadocia, Galatians, Pontus, and others. But also I want you to notice the Trinitarian nature of, of this greeting. So he has, um, this was all done according to the foreknowledge of the Father, uh, in the sanctification of the Spirit, in obedience to Jesus Christ, and by the sprinkling of his blood. So there is a Trinitarian work throughout the Christian life. Um, and certainly in, in the work of this letter. Let's hop to, to, to what he has to say in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pause there. It's a letter about suffering, not only about suffering, but it's written in the context of suffering. Um, and he begins with, blessed be the Lord uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's striking when you really th stop and think that it begins with praise to God our Father. Typically, when we think of suffering, we do the opposite. We want to blame God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we, we want to criticize. Uh, Peter starts on the other end uh, to, to praise um, our Savior. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. A couple of things to note here. One is is the theological depth that Peter begins here. Um, 
something that we probably don't give Peter enough credit for because, again, he, he lives in the shadow of Paul. Um, but you see that his theology of suffering begins with who God is and what he has done. So according to his great mercy, he's caused us uh, to a living hope, right? So the gospel brings us into a new story where suffering isn't uh, the end of the world, but rather we understand that there is something greater in the life to come that then informs the means by which we, we suffer now. We suffer according to hope, and that living hope is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. Remember, Peter is one of those who was close to Jesus and uh, witnessed his execution and then naturally would have assumed everything we've been living for the last three years was a waste of time. But then he understands three days later Christ has risen from the dead. This changes the game forever. Uh, that that we worship a Savior of the resurrection. So not only do we do we uh, suffer with a living hope, uh, we we know we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So so we we persevere through suffering not only because we're people of hope, but we are a people of an inheritance, and it's guarded through faith. He says it there, verse five, and as a result, we we rejoice even through trials. That's the point of Hebrews twelve. Um, and that leads to the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Again, this is a radical uh, 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 different. This is radically different from the way we often approach suffering. Came across the quote recently. It said that when the first people came to America, their goal was to uh, um, make America Christian. Now, what's happened these last several generations is we've Americanized Christianity. And one of the ways we've Americanized Christianity is, uh, is our theology of suffering is very American. We assume that God does good things to good people, God does bad things to bad people. That's Eastern nonsense. That isn't uh, a Christian uh, orthodoxy. Um, because when you read your Bible, you discover that it's often the heroes of the story who suffer. I mean, the peak example is, again, Jesus. Let's not to mention all the apostles, which we're going through on Wednesday nights here at East Frankfurt Baptist Church, and, and other examples, um, that they, they suffer uh, not despite their faith, but because of their faith. At the same time, they persevere through suffering, not despite their faith, but because of their faith. So Christianity should have a robust theology of, of suffering. And the problem is, and in 17 years of ministry, I've found that people love Jesus so long as their life seems to be going uh, the way they want it to. But the second there's a hiccup on that, there is, there is anger and rejection and, and everything else. And, and that is not how we've learned Christianity. I've, I've used this quote multiple times in the devotion from Martin Luther, that they gave our Savior a crown of thorns. Why do we expect a crown of roses? He goes on to skip down just for the sake of time, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a reorientation of, of our focus. If our focus is on temporary things, they will be wrecked by temporary things. But if our focus and hope is on um, the grace of God that will be fully realized on the day of judgment, um, then, then nothing is going to take that away from us. It's a vital, vital, important way of thinking. If your attention is on that which cannot be shaken, a foundation that cannot be rotten, a, a, a treasure that cannot be stolen, then what happens here 
does not affect the hope that we have there. And that's the problem with idolatry. Idolatry says you can have that here and it'll never be taken away from you. And so we, we follow for greed and lust and power and mindless entertainment and everything else. And then, and then we, we discover that these aren't curing us of our spiritual ails, anxiety, bitterness, uh, envy, whatever it might be, but rather they're feeding them. And then there is reality that at any second they can be taken away. Isn't that what we should have learned at the beginning of COVID? I still remember my Twitter timeline where everyone was in a panic because March Madness was being canceled. The Kentucky Derby was being canceled. What does this mean about spring baseball? We were in a panic because we as Americans spend so much of our time in the sanctuary of entertainment. And when that was taken away, we were in a panic. And then there was the security of food and basic provisions and all of that. There was a panic. But if your treasure is in heaven, if your hope is in Christ and where he is, it doesn't mean that this world doesn't matter. It means it gives us a better perspective of this world. That you can, you can take whatever you want from me. And circumstances can be as bad as they want to be. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. He goes on, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Quoting, I believe, the book of Leviticus. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is, should be striking again to us. This is what I love about First Peter, is he, he forces us to rethink about things we presume. He moves from perseverance and suffering to obedience, holiness. He says that your focus should be less on uh, being a victim and more on being holy. Now think about how radical that message is in our day and time. In our day and time, you are not prominent unless you are a victim. And if you have to manufacture victimhood, then so be it. There, 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 there is no platform unless you are victim, unless you are oppressed. This is why you have uh, several uh, Caucasian Americans pretending to be African American. right? And, and it's, it's, well... It fits within the cultural mindset that self-actualization is is reality, and and it we do it with gender, but for some reason doesn't work with race, and that's another topic that goes beyond our purpose here. Uh, but notice here that Peter will say at the end of verse seventeen that you you and I are exiles, and our focus as exiles is not to make this world our home but rather to grow in holiness in anticipation of finally making it home. Right? So, so this is a coming, of, of, uh, coming back home story that we have here. And, and it's important for us as Christians to see that here in this life we are indeed exiles, which should be obvious if we take our faith seriously. Whether you lean left or right, we, are st- we should still be exiles in this world. Because... 
Our citizenship is not here. It is in heaven, Paul will tell us. And our hope is there. Therefore, let us live like it. So our priority should not be massaging our circumstances, but growing in holiness. Be holy, Scripture says, as God in heaven is holy. Well, there's a lot more going on here, but for sake of time, uh, let us move forward. Uh, tomorrow will be in First Peter 2. Um, uh, one of my, uh, it's got one of my favorite sections in it, so we'll look at it then. Hope to see you then.